If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Tigers. LSU wins the BCS. Corner, one team, one heartbeat. The New Orleans Hornets select Anthony Davis. And I tell you, Mardi Gras about to break out. Talk about my thing. To the 20. Geis, touchdown. Who that? This is the Chris Gordy Show. Hour number two of the Chris Gordy Show rolls on here on Sports 1280 New Orleans. Always a pleasure to talk with this guy. He's one of my uh, favorite writers out there in the NFL. Been covering the NFL since, I think, 1992. Doing a lot of great work ever since then. He is Jason Cole joining us now on the line. Jason, good morning to you. How are you, sir? I'm great. What's going on? I guess uh, we'll start with the breaking news coming out of the NFL. Uh, Devontae Freeman getting a a long-term deal in Atlanta. The Falcons locking him up. Any uh, thoughts on the Devontae Freeman contract coming down? A uh, fairly reasonable deal at $8 million a season. He got some money up front, I think it's $15 million, uh, and a signing bonus of $21 million guaranteed. Uh, I think, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a reasonable hedge given his, product, his production, what he does for that team in terms of how they want to play their offense on first and second down. I know he's not necessarily the receiver of Tevin Coleman, but uh, I think that he provides – the elusiveness that makes that makes it so that safeties have to at least respect him, and that opens up everything else for Julio Jones and what they want to do with their tight ends and with Mohamed Sanu. So he's a, he's kind of a key piece. I think they paid a little bit of a premium for him, but this is a team that has a window probably for the next two or three years to win. So locking up a guy who fits perfectly in what you want to do makes a lot of sense. It's a logical contract. We were just talking about it before the break. It's kind of interesting, the lifespan of the running backs now in the NFL. It just feels like it's getting shorter and shorter. I mean, if he plays out this contract, I mean, this could very well be the the one big payday for Freeman. It just seems odd to think like that in that sense, but it just seems like running backs now are becoming a dime a dozen. Well, yeah, they're a dime a dozen. Well, I don't, I don't want to put it that you can just get another guy and he does the same thing. That's what dime a dozen sort of implicates. What it is is you cannot overpay for that position given the longevity that you're going to get out of it. I mean, you're going to be lucky if you get four to five years out of a running back. And to get more than that, to get to six or seven, which is what the the Falcons are going to hope to do here with Devontae Freeman, you're going to have to manage carries. You're going to have to make sure you have another guy. You know, don't wear that guy out. You know, the days of lining up with a George Rogers and handing him 380 carries a year and doing that for three or four years, <laughs> you know, that, that, that just doesn't happen any, anymore in this league. It's, it's just not possible. And so you have to be really, really careful with guys like this. What does this do for Le'Veon Bell's contract situation with the Steelers? I mean, I would imagine he's sitting there drooling today seeing this number, knowing that he should probably get maybe twice as much. Yeah, but I don't know that it helps him get twice as much. I mean, he can ask, you know, look, I don't blame a guy for asking for anything. 
for whatever you're, you're worth, you think you're worth. And I think he believes that he's worth $15 million a year based on his you know, combination of running and receiving skills. I would say that the Steelers are sitting there going, yeah, well, we're not going to argue with your calculation, but we don't have to do that. <laughs> you know, we can, we can pay you $12 million on a franchise tag, and then we can franchise you again for close to that $15 million next year, and we're going to see how you do touching the ball over 400 times a year. You know, do you survive that or do you not survive that? Because if you don't, then this is our way of hedging our bet on this one. So I don't know that Le'Veon's any closer to getting that long-term deal at the kind of number that he wants, and I don't know that this deal helps him get there. Talking with Jason Cole, speaking of running backs here in New Orleans, uh, look, we've been all, we've all been excited to see Adrian Peterson out at uh, training camp. He looks to be, be to be back in in good shape and looks like the old Adrian Peterson. Pairing him in a backfield with with Mark Ingram and then the rookie Alvin Kamara seems to be like a loaded backfield. How do you see uh, this, this backfield shaping up as they get the season rolling? I don't know how this is going to shape up. I, I'm really intrigued by this because. Are, is this becoming a run first team? I mean, are they going to carry, you know, are they going to have 600 carries or something like that or 500 carries, which is never anything that Sean Payton's done. And not that he doesn't want to run the ball effectively, but you talk about sort of doing it with guys who are a dime a dozen who aren't necessarily special. I mean, Ingram's the closest they've had to a guy who's special. and He's okay. He's you know, a good solid player. Got what a four year, $16 million deal a year ago. So, to me, I thought you could be effective not having to go out and get a guy like Adrian Peterson. So I'm really curious to see how Sean Payton's going to work this because Sean, at the end of the day, loves to throw it. I know that you know you get rid of Cooks, you bring in Peterson. That would seem, on face value, to say to the entire world, "Look, we're going to pound the ball. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to run it. We're going to be explosive running it. You know, try and conserve our passing game and play a different style and play more ball control." Um, but when you're a mad scientist like Sean Payton, uh, <laughs> I, just, I think you end up throwing the ball uh, when in doubt. And so I, I want to see the discipline with which uh, Sean runs this offense. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you go back to that 09 team, the, the Super Bowl championship team, they ranked sixth in rushing in the league that year. I mean, a lot of people forget Mike Bell, Pierre Thomas. I mean, they, they had games where it wasn't all Drew Brees just throwing the, the heck out of the ball. They were a little bit more balanced, and that led to a lot of wins that year for them. Maybe right, that's but the they, philosophy. But they were still a run, they were a run first. I mean, they were a pass first team. It was pass right. to set up the run, and they would get leads on people and get up on a couple scores, and then they would run at at people. And so – you know, if you go back and you check out like Dan Marino's 1984 season when he set the NFL record with 48 touchdown passes, yeah, they actually had a pretty good running game and they had great balance and all those other things. And they went to the Super Bowl as a result. They weren't a running team, however. So, you know, stats sometimes portray something that's not necessarily reality in terms of how do you actually run your offense. It's how do you actually execute games. So, to me, I want to see how Sean Payton executes games, especially if he's not playing with a lead. If he's got to play from behind sometimes, I, you know, it really concerns me how do you use those three running backs.
What do you think of the receiving weapons that they have? Obviously, letting Brandon Cooks go off to the New England Patriots. Gordy and I have been in a battle. I don't think Ted Ginn is going to do anything that's worth, you know. He has this thought that maybe Ted Ginn could be a thousand yard receiver. I think that that is silly, but just overall thoughts on what their receiving <laughs> core looks like. Well, Mike Thomas is a nice player. I mean, that, that, like, you're, you're, you're saying to the world that this is the guy who's going to be the main guy, right? And, you got Fleener still, who I think is a good, solid receiving tight end and does some damage vertically. I think Ted Ginn is good for, you know, 40 to 50 catches, getting 800 to 900 yards, which, you know, we're talking 18 to 20 yards per catch, which is pretty impressive stuff. But he's a straight-line guy. He's not He's not going to be taking a slant pass and running through, your, through a defense very often. I just don't see that. Even though he's got the speed, he's just not – he's not that kind of receiver who reads – reads defenses that well. He's the kind of guy you send over the top to take the top off of the defense. And I would say he's probably one of the top ten guys in the league still at that, but he's not he's not Deshaun Jackson. But he's good at it still. So Ted can Ted Ginn can be effective for you in a certain role that I think is very complimentary to Michael Thomas and complimentary to Kobe Fleener. So I think it can work together. But he's not Brandon Cooks. Let's just not let's say that right off the top uh so i I think that they're still going to throw the ball effectively and if you have drew Brees, you got to throw it effectively and you're going to be you're going to be smart with it Uh, the the real main question to me is how clean can you keep drew Brees? can you keep him from getting hit as much as he has the last two or three years that makes that passing attack more than just a numbers generator, but one that's actually um, really, really dangerous and the one that kind of determines where games where games are decided. That's, that's what I'm really curious about this with this team. Talking with uh, Jason Cole, uh, as we look around this division, Jason, uh, last night I got to see uh, Hard Knocks with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, expectations are high with them, with Jameis Winston. They had Deshaun uh, J- Jackson to go with Mike Evans and, and O.J. Howard, who they drafted. Uh, tonight we're going to get to see the Carolina Panthers play their first preseason game against the, the Houston Texans. What do you make of the AFC, or rather the NFC South this year with uh, the, you know, the the Panthers a couple of years removed from a Super Bowl appearance, the Bucs seeming to, to reload, and oh, by the way, the Falcons just coming off of a Super Bowl appearance? Well, it's either the best or the second-best division in football. I mean, you know, depending on how you view the, the AFC West, uh, you got the AFC West and you got the NFC South, and the advantage that the NFC South would have is that all four quarterbacks are either are somewhere between really good and great, and you know, likely uh, likely one of them are, is going to go in the Hall of Fame, and then the three others will have pretty decent arguments by the time they're done. Right, so I would say it's the best division in terms of the quarterbacks. It may be the best overall division. Period. Uh, again. Again, in in comparison to the AFC West, uh, as the division itself, look, I think Atlanta's going to be okay getting over the uh, Super Bowl hangover. I think the Dan Quinns get the right, um, you know, the, 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 knows the right way to push buttons. I think that Carolina was really smart in how they drafted in terms of making sure that Cam Newton survives long term. Like it's really important, I think, that they get the ball out of his hands and stop letting him get hit so much. And Tampa's been building towards this. I, you know, I'm not big on Deshaun Jackson because I think inevitably he's going to miss four or five games. But 
you know, the, the games that he does play, boy, he's dangerous. And I really do like the O.J. Howard kid. And I think, look, New Orleans is going to get better defensively. The question is, can they get consistent enough on defense so that that defense can match what they're doing offensively and make them you know, turn some of those close games? Like the, the Raiders game in the open, opener last year. I think that set the tone for both the Raiders and how their season was going to go and in large part for the Saints and how their season was going to go and how they were going to lose so many close games. <laughs> Flip it over to the AFC South. This Andrew Luck situation in Indy, what the hell is going on? Is he going to play early in the season ever? Like, what, what, There's what no, there's no timetable. I'm told that he's going to play, but you know, I say that I'm told that. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, all right? <laughs> Uh, you know, so let's let's see how this one plays out. I think that they are being incredibly cautious because, look, last year he was not healthy going into the year. They told people he was and that everything was okay from the, the injuries the year before. He was not. He never was healthy. It only got worse. And they're invested in this guy for the long term. I mean, we can all talk about, hey, the season starts in September. They're looking at the next 10 years, not just the next you know, three, four, five weeks. And so they've got to be really conservative with this guy and make sure that he's all right. So to me, um, this is all about long-term thinking when, when you talk about, uh, when you talk about Andrew Luck. So I think that if push comes to shove and he's not completely healthy, he will not play. But I was told he's going to be healthy and ready to go. Last one for you, Jason. Uh, obviously a little bit of a shocker this week when uh, we find out Jay Cutler has turned in his broadcasting uh, debut in for uh, returning to the NFL to go be a Miami Dolphin. It's just, is this just a mistake on everybody's part? Is this going to turn out disastrous, or do you think Jay Cutler could be an answer for Miami? Well, I mean, I, what choice did the Dolphins have? Yeah. And, uh, you know, look, I, I know a lot of people are saying, well, why, why did they think about Kaepernick? Well, that's ignoring some realities here. You know, that is ignoring that Adam Gase and Jay Cutler know each other uh, from having worked two years ago and that Cutler had the best season of his career under Gase that, that season that, you know, when you're this close to the season, it's really important that a coach know who his quarterback is in terms of how do you talk to him? What did he like? I mean, so this is a perfect fit for uh, the Dolphins given the circumstances. Will it solve the problem? Will they get to the playoffs? You know, that was, this is a team that struggled a lot. I mean, I know they made the playoffs last year, but they struggled in a lot of, you know, games. Like, they struggled in Los Angeles to beat the Rams in the second half. They struggled to beat Cleveland. They got lucky in that game, in fact, at home, where Cleveland's kicker missed three field goals uh, along the way, three short field goals or relatively short field goals that should have won the game for Cleveland. They struggled, I'm trying to remember, against San Francisco of all teams. You know, they struggled against two of the worst teams in the league, uh, three of the worst teams in the league, to, to eke out victories. And so people are just saying, okay, well, we're going to stamp them for the playoffs this year. Oh, wait, I'd say wait a big second. So whether it's Jay Cutler or whether they had a healthy Ryan Tannehill, I think this team was going to regress to the norm a little bit but still be on the right path. I think Gase is the right answer at coach, and what they're doing personnel-wise is smart. But you know, I don't think this team is ready to all of a sudden jump into the fray with teams like you know New England 
uh, Atlanta or Pittsburgh. There's still a big step behind all of them, whether it was Cutler or whether it's Tannehill. He is Jason Cole, national NFL football writer. You can follow him on Twitter at Jason Cole 62 Jason, thanks so much for jumping on with us this morning, man. We really appreciate it. No problem. It. All right, we'll talk Take to care. you soon. Jason Cole, uh, of, uh, formerly of Bleacher Report, and uh, has been writing for a whole bunch of different entities for, for many years. And great, great stuff. Really appreciate him jumping on. Good insight. And uh, like I said, really, really good writer as well. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. More to go here on the Chris Gordy Show, including uh, we'll head out west, talk with our guy Dan Davis from uh, And the Valley Shook. He's got an article on Dave Aranda. Could the LSU defense be even better in year two? Kind of crazy to think about, but we'll talk with him about that. He's got a piece on that coming up in just a little bit right here on the Chris Gordy Show.